Thanks for joining our Dialing Into Your Best Dairy, a podcast series brought to you by dairy educators with Cornell University. In this series, we'll be walking through a cow's life cycle to pinpoint best management practices to maximize each cow's genetic potential in your herd. Hi, everybody. I'm Betsy Hicks, and I'm a regional dairy specialist for Cornell University Cooperative Extension, South Central New York region. And I'm really excited to tell you that we're launching a new podcast series. It's called Dialing Into Your Best Dairy, and is a series about management practices and tips to reaching your herd's full genetic potential. I and other specialists are going to be guiding you through the different life stages of the dairy cow and featuring different industry experts on key advice to help improve the health, efficiency, and profitability of your herd. I'm joined by two other CCE dairy specialists from around the state. Thanks, Betsy. I'm Lindsay Felita with the North Country Region, and in the series, we're going to have episodes focusing on raising calves through the milk phase and weaning, managing weaned heifers up to freshening, making decisions about which replacements to keep, including talking about feeding and nutrition management during lactation, facilities, time management, and ventilation considerations throughout her lactation, and we'll feature an interview with a New York State dairy producer, and management factors around reproduction, gestation, and the dry period. We will tie all of these phases together as part of this concept of dialing into your best dairy. Thanks, Lindsay. I'm Margaret Quasdorf, dairy specialist from the Northwest New York region. We're joined today by Dr. Mike Van Amberg from Cornell University. Mike's research focuses on several aspects of production efficiency of dairy cattle, including nutrient utilization and, and digestion, and also the management of calves and heifers. He's talked about this idea of calves being born with this tremendous genetic potential. And recent research has demonstrated that early life nutrient intake and growth rates prior to weaning have an epigenetic or development effect on the calf that results in greater milk yield over the life of the animal as an adult. Now, Betsy's got some questions for Mike to elaborate on this fascinating topic. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. Sure, glad to be here. Thanks, Betsy. So let's start off with what epigenetics are and why they're important. Sure, well, epigenetics is a fancy word um, for basically describing how an animal is influenced to use its genetic code, basically. And, and what I mean by that in a less scientific form is that, you know, they're all, they're all you know, a calf is born, it has its complement of DNA from its parents, grandparents, and uh, how, that, how that calf developed in utero, nutrient signaling, temperature, all those kinds of things, what happened once that calf hit the ground, colostrum, components of colostrum, nutrition, things like that, influence how those, how that DNA is used, how, they, how the genes are turned on or turned off. So, so basically, epigenetics is the, is the management of the animal's genetic capacity or the result of external influences um, on their genetic capacity. It's what basically results in, in their phenotype, their phenotypic expression. Right, right. So talk to me a little bit about why you started doing this research in dairy calves specifically. 
Well, okay. I'm going to go way back now. Okay. I did my PhD working on heifers and, and reducing age of first calving. And, and the biggest obstacle to that at the time, at least in the, in the, in the literature, and also our management practice was this idea that if we grew heifers faster, we negatively influenced the development of the mammary gland. And that in turn led to, we got fatty infiltration in the mammary gland and then we would have less milk yield, right? Once they calved in. Mm -hmm. And then one day it dawned on me, um, thanks to a good friend who talked to me about his baby pigs, um, cause I got my aha moment talking to people about baby pigs, said, geez, if we want to drop the age of first calving, why don't we start at day of birth? Because when I started doing this research back in 1989, 1990, um, nobody started before three or four months of age. And almost every study out there on lowering age of first calving was, was starting their treatments at four or five or six months of age, right? Which is to me, that was way too too late. Too late, we, right? We missed yeah. All of our opportunity. Right. So, so, so that led to the question of why do we do what we do with calves? If we're going to grow them faster, what are the nutrient requirements of calves? And and how do we put that all together to influence their management? And and I would ask lots of people, you know, what are the nutrient requirements of these calves to grow faster? And nobody had a good answer. And you can look at the at our NRC, you know, publications, and there was maybe a page or two on a calf, and it had nothing to do with nutrient requirements per se. So that's what motivated me to do this. And then when we did our first study, we we had calves, you know, we did a harvest study where we we're looking at body composition, and we had calves growing in excess of three pounds a day. And uh, some of my academic colleagues thought that was the craziest thing in the world, hmm. right? Because we had to wean them as fast as possible, get them on dry feed. Why would you ever want to feed them that much milk? Right, it costs a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was costing a lot. And, but, you know, but the, the feed efficiency was not part of their consideration. You know, their, their, their highest feed efficiency is at that point in their life. Right. Right. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, well, no, that's the opportunity here because it's just like dairy cows, it's return on investment. Well, so it was an interview like this, Betsy, that actually pushed my buttons on. Again, you never know where you're going to get your aha moment, and you always got to be paying attention. So this woman came in. Uh, she was a journalist, and she wanted to interview me um, to talk about this research. And, and what I realized when she came in, and I brought all my grad students and undergrads who had been touching those calves, in because I wanted them to be part of this so they could share their perspective, right? So that it didn't just sound like, you know, wacko Ben Amberg with this crazy idea about feeding more milk to a calf. So I realized that she had already been to see all the other calf people in the country. And she started asking really, um, not derogatory, but close to derogatory questions and framing things in ways that were just ter terribly negative. But she asked one really, really remarkable question. And she had no idea how, how profound the question was. She said to me, how do you know feeding a calf this way will make them a better milk cow? 
That's a great question. That was an awesome question. I hadn't even contemplated it. I was worried about the energy requirements, the amino acid requirements, the mineral requirements. I was thinking about the mechanics of growing a calf. Right. But what well, affects as a cow, right? Yeah. And I'm staring at the ceiling for what seemed like forever processing that question. And I, 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 when I finally got my head around it, I looked back at her and I said, I don't know the answer to your question, but how do you know what we're doing right now isn't inhibiting their ability to make milk? Right. And that was the end of the interview. She got mad and... <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that was okay because she, she didn't come with the right perspective and we weren't ready. Uh, but that I immediately ran upstairs. We didn't have good search engines back then, right? This was right at the beginning of the uh, internet. <laughs> to say that. And, um, but I started looking up papers. I went to the library. I wrote some folks in Denmark and I found three or four pieces of information that all showed if calves were allowed to consume more nutrients prior to weaning from milk or milk replacer, they, they produced significantly more milk and nobody had ever really put it together. Everybody who had one of those data sets basically put the data set in the drawer and didn't share it with anybody or they put it in an abstract, but they never would publish it because they, they didn't understand it and they didn't know how to talk about it until finally what made sense is another group repeated their first study and, and found the same, not quite the same response, but found a positive response, right. which said that it was repeatable, right? And that, that is the best example of an epigenetic event where you, know, you didn't change their genetic capacity. You told them it was okay to use it better. Right, right. So I, that's how that all got started. That was probably a really long answer for your question, but that's, that was it. That's a, it's a great story though, because you know, there's a few things in there. You never know when your aha moment is going to happen. Um, but it's really thinking about what are we after? We're after unlocking her genetic potential. And like you say, telling that calf as a cow, it's okay to express those genes for production and health and all of those things. So that's, it's, it's a super interesting concept. So what did you do? Can you walk us through um, your research project that you did? Sure. We did several of them. The, the one, the most important thing that we did, and, and I have to credit uh, some of the managers at the, at the, what was the TNR at the time, mm -hmm. Larry, Larry Chase, while we're running some calf studies, Larry Chase, uh, who was very intimately involved in in the farm and was really overriding or and I was sitting, you know, kind of watching over, you know, forages, forage quality, you know, diets, milk production, things like that. He came out. Um, we had the, at that time we had the herd calves in hutches and we were in our, our modified greenhouse barn. And he came in to see our calves in the greenhouse barn and he'd walk out to the hutches and he'd come back in and he'd walk back out. And one day he, he came in and he, he came, we walked right up to me and Larry and I had a good, he was on my PhD committee, but we didn't always talk about management stuff, right? That just, we didn't have, we hadn't developed a full relationship. This is when I, we really got to talk to each other in a way that was not um, a mentoring thing. Mm -hmm. And he goes, he goes, Mike, he goes, I've come in to see your calves. It's, I can see them grow through the day. <laughs> I can see the difference. I can see them over a week, how much they change. 
they look tremendous. Why aren't we doing this with our herd calves? And I said, um, I don't know, Larry, because I think it'd be a good idea, but it's not my decision. Right. And, and I said, that would be up to you. So he leaves and he comes back the next day. And he said, where do we get this milk replacer from? And I said, how much do you want? So I, I called up the company that was initially responsible for sponsoring a lot of my research. And um, they sent many pallets of the same stuff we were doing research on. And we started, that's, we, that's how this whole thing got going. So we started feeding that, uh, we, we started feeding the whole herd that way, this more accelerated, that was the term at the time, right. uh, those milk replacers um, and, and, you know, monitoring health. And we were, we got to weigh calves, right? We would weigh them at birth, we'd weigh them at weaning. Mm -hmm. And we record, to some extent, we recorded as many of the treatments as we could. And, and um, so I credit Larry a lot for really helping, you know, passively. He didn't really do this actively, but he wanted to get the calves on a better you know, better diet, better performance. So, and Tom Eddy, who was the manager at the time, was really interested in this. He had come from Monsanto. And, uh, and a couple of herd managers were really interested in it. They didn't really like calves. A lot of, like a lot of herd managers, they don't <laughs> really <laughs> in managing the babies. But we had some who were willing to spend some time doing that. So what we did is we, we had all this growth data from all the calves at the research farm over a, a 10 to 12 year period. So one day Bob Everett was still around, Bob ran his test day model. Um, I had Tom Eddy sent me all the data. I went down to see Bob and said, run your test day model on here's the, here's the cow numbers. Let's just look at first lactation milk production. Wow. <laughs> I'm guessing there was a significant difference or significant change. Yeah, Bob, you know, anybody who knows Bob, he was a geneticist for 40 some years. And um, he handed the data to me and he said, Mike, he said, he says, I don't know what you're doing. He says, but I've never seen anything like this. And I said, what does that mean? He said, well, I've been a geneticist for 40 years. This data accounts for more variation in first lactation milk production than anything I've ever seen before. And I said, Bob, what does that mean? And we, and these are the kind, we had these conversations. So he said, you got a minute? Well, that minute turned into four hours. So, so I'm, I'm still looking at him. He says, well, you were, you were trying to be a geneticist once. He said, what do we, what's the trait we normally select for? And I said, milk. He goes, yeah. He said, how much variation in first lactation milk production does selection for milk account for? I said, I don't know, Bob, that's your, that's your, that's your job. He said 7%. I said, that's interesting. I said, only seven? He said, yeah, the primary trait only accounts for seven. I said, so why are you so interested in this? And that's when he started to do all this math on the board and work out this whole structure of how he saw this happening. These, and, and he worked it out while I was sitting there. He goes, these, these calves, this calf data, this pre-weaning growth rate accounts for 21% of the variation of first lactation milk yield. <laughs> Three times as much. Three times as much. He goes, there's nothing else, there's nothing else like it. There's no other, there's no trait that I've studied my entire career that accounts for that much of the variation. He goes, I think it's higher. We just don't have enough of the right kind of data yet. 
And he just kept telling me, you've got to keep chasing this, right? He goes, this is, this is where it's at. He goes, we've looked for all this genetic transfer. He goes, it's must, it's there. We just haven't figured out how to tell him to use it. Right. Right. right? So this is how this all, you know, it was, it, it wasn't just me. It was this group of people, ongoing conversations, you know, uh, is how this all, you know, matured. So, so interesting. So, such a fascinating topic. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. No, happy to do it, Betsy. <laughs> um, so, what's the best way to contact you if someone has questions? My email. M E as in Edward, V as in Victor, numeral one at Cornell period edu. Great. Thanks so much, Mike. We'll be applying this concept to the rest of the episodes in this podcast, where we walk through management strategies at each life stage to help producers reach their herd's genetic potential. Thanks, Betsy and Mike. In our final episode, we will interview a farm that has dialed into their best dairy and has a record-setting cow. Many of these things that Mike and Betsy just talked about are things that this farm has focused on to have a herd of cows that are reaching their genetic potential. In one of our episodes, we will even be talking to the owners of the current milk production world record holding cow, Sol's Prowley Aftershock 3918. Tune in to our future episodes to hear from knowledgeable Cornell Cooperative Extension Dairy Specialists and pro dairy staff, including Casey Havikis, Alicia Drenke, Dave Balbian, Melanie Palmer, Kathy Barrett, and Dr. Rob Lynch. So tell your friends, other farmers, and subscribe. Check out the Cornell Pro Dairy website to find resources mentioned in each episode. The next episode starts us off with best management practices for calves from neonate through weaning. Thanks for tuning in to the first episode of Dialing Into Your Best Dairy, and see you soon. This podcast has been presented by Regional Dairy Educators with Cornell Cooperative Extension and Pro Dairy. Thank you.